So in the spiritual realm, there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. But in the beginning, there was God and only God. And he created everything we see, and it was all good. He created the mountains, the sky, the water. But he also created things we don't see. Among some of the things he created were angels. God created these angels to worship him. And they did, except for one angel. We know this angel to be Satan. And he did not want to worship God. So he and a few of the other angels were sent out of the kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness. Now, Satan hated everything about the kingdom of light. And so um, some of God's other creations were us people. The first people we know to be Adam and Eve. And God made them, and they were in the kingdom of light. And they lived in a garden where everything was good. And God told them, you can eat from any of the fruit from any of the trees except for one. And they understood this. But Satan, because he hated the kingdom of light, he wanted to tempt them. So he came in the form of a snake into the garden. He asked Adam and Eve, why are you not eating from this fruit? And they told him, God told us not to. And because Satan hated the kingdom of light, he told them, you will be like God if you eat from this fruit. And they were deceived and they believed him. Now this was darkness. This was sin. This was disobeying what God had said. And because this was darkness, they could no longer live in the kingdom of light. Where they once had love, peace, freedom, and the power of God, they now lived in hate, anger, fear, and darkness. Because of Adam and Eve's choice, we are now all born into the kingdom of darkness. We are all born with the hate and anger inside us, even as young children. And there is no way we can get back into the kingdom of light on our own. But God made one way, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to earth in a perfect form and chose to die for our sins. He did not have to, but he did. So it is only through Christ Jesus that we can leave the kingdom of darkness and enter the kingdom of light. We can trade the hate, the anger, and the fear that, we, that is inside us for the love and the peace and the freedom. But it is only through Jesus. It is not through good works or going to church that will save us. But it is to be born again through Christ Jesus. Scripture says, for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's all we have to do. Call on the name of the Lord, and we shall be saved from the darkness and enter into the kingdom of light. So now I ask you, are you living in the kingdom of light, and have you been born again, or are you living in the kingdom of darkness? Two minutes and 52 seconds is all it takes to capture the truth of the gospel, of the story of just God wanting to bring us from the darkness into the, into the light. That story was part of a training that we did on our mission trip where we worked with pastors from 12 churches and trained them on how to use that story along with other techniques to share with their neighbors, with their family, with others. And so the, 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 the emphasis wasn't just on saving people in the kingdom of d d darkness, but what happens next? And so we got to, we got to see that we got to see that story save many, many, many people 
in the week that we were um, doing ministry, and it was a powerful experience. Amy had the opportunity to actually show the pastors at this at this um, at this training with over a hundred people how to share that 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 story, and so it was just an incredible experience. And um, it's really appropriate that the person that we're looking at in the passage today, um, Philip, is one of the earliest, most bold evangelist in the early church. We've been spending a little bit of time in Acts looking at looking at the early early church, looking at the healthy aspects of the early church, looking at how it happened. And today we're going to be looking at Philip, who was just an incredibly bold evangelist for Christ. Just a little context on him. He was doing evangelism uh, in chapter 7 of Acts. We're going to be in, um, in chapter 8. But in chapter 7 and early 8, he was doing evangelism in Samaria. And if you know anything about Jews and Samaritans, they did not get along well. There was a lot of bigotry and hatred all the way back into the Old Testament between these two groups. But Philip heard the great commission from Jesus, and heard the part where he said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It would be a lot easier for a lot of us to skip the Samaria in our lives, to skip the people that make us uncomfortable, to skip the people that maybe we've got some deep-seated emotions towards. And so Philip runs headlong into that, makes such an impact with this people group that Peter and John, two of the prominent followers of Jesus, who were a little bit hesitant to go to a people group that they were uncomfortable with, they see Philip's boldness and courage, and they are encouraged to go to Samaria and also evangelize there as well. And so that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 26. So if you want to open there with me, we are in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And it goes, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his, in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the, spirit, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone explains to me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. 
Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told the good news about Jesus. And they were, they, were, they, were, they were going along the road, and they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azarus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And so, the, and so the first thing I want us to see here is even when we don't know how or what, we need, to f- we need to follow the Holy Spirit. We see the passage open up with um, Philip getting this very clear but yet kind of vague command from an angel. We love having as much information as possible before we jump headlong into something. This was clearly evident on our trip as um, as, as five of us made the very unwise, exciting choice to jump off of a bridge with a rope attached to our ankles. And the rest of the group decided to go and ride what we know as very sturdy creatures known as elephants, not you know, any kind of airborne opportunities there. And so we know that most of us like to have a lot of information before we jump into things. And so Philip says, all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to obey here. He received specific instructions on where but he did not know what exactly he was, he was walking into. And that was kind of the case as we walked into our trip to Zimbabwe to partner with Allison and Brett. Our Zimbabwe team began meeting together about three months ago. And one of the first things we said was, you're going to have to be flexible. And surprise, surprise, that proved to be true. So um, Holly, tell us, how did you see God work even when there were unknowns before the trip and during the trip? Well, this is my third visit um, to Southern Africa on a mission trip, and so I was very familiar with the TIA uh, situation. This is Africa. You just never really know um, how things are going to go time-wise or event-wise. And I ended up being part of the medical team, um, and so there were many times where we kind of had a plan for what was going on. We had really planned to do a series of clinics, and it turned out that that was not exactly what was going to happen. Um, And so we were able to work in our first clinic and that went pretty well and we had people lined up at the end and we decided yes, we would come back for a second day so we were flexible about that and then our plan had been to work in the prisons for the balance of the week um, and that was not to be. So uh, we discovered very quickly that there were some other elements that had to have been um, taken care of and, and we were in the midst of that and that part of what we were doing ultimately on this trip was laying a foundation for a future visit. Um, And so we had to be really flexible about that. So 
when we went to our initial visit to the prison, one of our, our plan was that we were going to see inmates, we were going to see um, guards, and we were going to have an opportunity to, to minister to them medically. Um, and it turned out that was not to be. But Jerry was able to share the two kingdoms just like Amy was able to do with you this morning. And 200 people prayed to receive Christ that day. Um, so obviously, the medical element of it, which was what we thought was our plan, was not what was in God's plan. Um, and I, I was laughing as I was kind of reflecting on this in a very tangible thing. Um, you know, we got very used to kind of schlepping things back and forth in our van. Um, you know, load up the equipment, take it out, load it up, take it out. And on, on the day that we actually went into the prison, there was this mysterious black box. Um, and we had been working with a pastor all week long, and so we just thought, oh, this must be part of his ministry. This must be tracks or books that he's using, and we had seen some extra books kind of floating around in the van. So we get there, we go in, we tour the, um, the prison, we see the medical area, we come out, and the pastor is playing an accordion in the middle of this big courtyard. So little did we know that this black box that we had no question about would be sort of the, um, the way that we would be able to sort of begin ministry to this, to this population. So um, I think for me, being able to sort of let go of whatever our agenda was and be sort of flexible to allow God to kind of set that agenda was a big part of it. That's awesome. Thank you. What about you, Olivia? How did you see God work despite unknown circumstances? Well, um, the trip was a little expensive, and somehow we all had enough money to go on it, which was the first really big miracle. Um, and then whenever we learned two kingdoms and we're practicing it in our groups and everything, we felt pretty confident about it. But once we actually started sharing it with people, everybody seemed to understand it and accept it. And so many people came to Christ. It was wonderful. And Miss Shay over here was with a group where a, a demon was exercised out of a woman. Like, it was, it was just a crazy, awesome experience. Thank you. And, and Donna, would you just challenge the church with one thing they could pray about? We met many pastors, chaplains, um, and congregation members, Christians, fellow believers in Zimbabwe, and um, they are very concerned about the neighbors that they have there, um, about the security of their soul for eternity. One of the pastors said to me, um, right before we left, he called me aside and he said, what has been done here is unique. It has never been done here. And I said, well, and exactly um, we've done a lot of different things so I was, you know uh, exactly what is that and he said all of us coming from different churches yeah. they weren't Baptist just Baptist they were Baptist and Methodist and Church of God and uh, Church of Christ and any number of, of churches but they come collectively together to learn to share the gospel and so I would love for us to pray that they will be um, obedient to do it that they will be um, bold in their faith and that, that cooperative spirit that they had that, that formed between them at true brotherly love and affection will continue um, in that place because it was a beautiful sight uh, to behold. That's great. Thank you all so much. So we never quite know what part of the journey we're going to be on when we interact with someone. We don't know what part of an individual's journey we will come in contact with when we expose them 
to the truth. Jesus, ex- Jesus explains people in the analogy of, 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 of soil. So he says, people are like, are, like, are like soil. Some people, when they hear the truth, they are like fertile soil who is ready to receive, ready to sprout up a crop immediately. Some people maybe need a little bit of tilling, maybe need some rocks, maybe uh, taken out, you know, uh, just might need a little bit of work. There are some hindrances to truth taking root. And then there are people that hear it, and the soil is so overcome with weeds that even when something sprouts up, it does not stay alive long. And so Jesus explains that we are all somewhere on that spectrum and people that we interact with when we are when we are sh- when we are sharing with the with the, the with the, the, them at some point we will come in contact with all of those types and it can be very encouraging to be on the end where you are reaping the harvest that you did not sow that is a very encouraging place to be and sometimes we have to be on the soil prep crew where we have to get in the mud with somebody else help them find rock and help them pull rocks out of their lives. If you have ever pulled weeds, you know pulling weeds is terrible. And pulling weeds out of somebody's life is even harder. But sometimes that is where we are on the journey with them. And we can't be afraid to put our hands in and help, and help, someone's, and help someone's soil become ready. Now, we could be anywhere on that spectrum and all of those, one is not worse than the other, but when we are obedient, it doesn't matter where we find ourselves on that spectrum, we can still follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so we can let a lot of things kind of get in the way of our ability to interact with, with someone with confidence, right? We can let fear about, oh man, I don't, know, I don't know if I am ready for this. I don't know if I want to get in the mud with, with somebody else. But at some point when you are sharing the truth with others, you will interact with them on one of those levels. The next thing I want us to see in the passage is that we are blessed in order to be a blessing. We see in verse 35 that Philip began with the passage of scripture and began sharing the truth with the Ethiopian man. Every person in the kingdom of God has a gift that is meant to be used for the kingdom. Now, at a basic level, every follower of Christ has their own personal story, has their own personal testimony of how they came to follow Christ. We all have that, right? And that is one of the greatest tools that we have when interacting with anyone else. And that is a powerful thing. In in Zimbabwe, we had the opportunity to do clinics. We had the opportunity to do evangelism training. We had the opportunity to do house-to-house evangelism. We did that alongside locals who had never done that before or who had very little experience with it, and it was a very powerful thing. But for many of us, the only qualification that we had to do that was our personal 
was our personal testimony. Now, regardless of where we, where we were, we all had gifts that ended up being used for the kingdom. And so we're going to hear a little bit about that. Every person on this team had a role to play, and they were all valuable as we went together and served in Zimbabwe. Um, We know that ultimately we are going to be changed by this trip, but that it doesn't end there. Um, We are changed so that we can help others, and we are blessed so that we can bless others. So as you went, Thomas, um, how did you see your gifts used to be a blessing? Um, So I'm Thomas. I'm a dentist. Uh, I was the the dental part of the team uh, with Miss Donna. Um, and Emily, they were my assistants. Um, so the first day we were at um, the first church, the first clinic site, um, and this little four-year-old boy comes in. He's like, my tooth is broken, and um, we were just slammed. I said, okay, hopefully we get to this little boy, and he sat um, on the side just waiting and waiting, and uh, I don't know how many of you guys have kids, but a four-year-old, like, their <laughs> attention spans aren't that long, but he waited for two hours and never, like, was a problem. Yeah. Um, we did the filling just fine. We had just enough stuff to do the filling he needed. Um, and then when his mom came to get him, she told Emily, she said, we've, he's been praying for the dentist to come to him for the past like month. And I kept, like she said, I couldn't take him because I didn't have the means to take him. And so um, we're so glad you guys are here um, to do the filling. So I didn't find this out till after we had already left, yeah. but it was really exciting to hear that. Um, one of the other clinics we did, um, it was kind of the last one we did um, at the Children's Care Center. Um, all the kids kept coming in. They said, um, my gums bleed when I brush. My gums bleed when I brush. And I would look at their gums and like, there's no reason for their gums to be bleeding. Um, clearly they're brushing. And now when I went to the bathroom, I saw all their toothbrushes lined up and all their toothbrushes were just like basically little nubs left of the brush. There was no brush left. Um, so we were able to give them new toothbrushes and every time I brushed their teeth, like their gums didn't bleed. So it was a real easy fix um, to just um, solve a problem. Um, the last one, and the last blessing, I guess, was um, actually we got to go out and do some ministry with the evangelism teams. Um, so I was with Hannah Pounds and Holly, and um, they were ministering to this group of mothers. Um, and I really didn't have a great connection with these um, women. I, I was just kind of like in the background. And um, Hannah and Holly were both quoting scripture. And um, I'm not trying to throw you on the bus, Holly, I promise. Um, <laughs> uh, but they would like, they'd quote the scripture, and it was like verbatim, and, but then they'd be like, Thomas, I don't know where that is. And, and so I was like, um, just, you know, I wasn't as engaged with the moms, like in the conversation, but I just was in the back, just looking up the scripture and like passing the Bible through the translator. And so like we had two Bibles and I would just consistently just, um, look up the verses. So I was able to contribute to the team. And I think, um, you know, all those women ended up accepting Christ. So it was nice just to have a small role, um, and, um, and leading to somebody's salvation. That's awesome. Thank you. And Amy, how are you, um, how'd you use your gifts to be a blessing on this trip? Um, Okay, so this is my second time going to Zimbabwe, and um, the first time looked a little different for me. It was more of like a learning, how do I share the two kingdoms? I watched um, some of the local pastors share, and then um, they kind of were like, you just sit there and you pray the whole time. So I was like, okay. So this time it was a little different. Um, The first day of the evangelism training for the local pastors and church members, um, I was asked to share the two kingdoms, well, I volunteered to share the two kingdoms in front of everyone, and um, just like I did, and um, it was like a stepping out of my comfort zone, but I found once I started, it wasn't hard at all. Um, It kind of like flowed out of me, and uh, I used my gifts of like being able to speak and leadership through example of how easy it is to share this two kingdoms story, and um, I had a woman ask me after. She said, "Um, were you not scared? you just got up in front of like so many people, are you not scared? And I like sat there and I was like, 
No, I wasn't scared um, because I knew I was doing what I was supposed to do. I knew I was answering the call. I knew I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing. And so I felt comfort in that. So um, through speaking and um, sharing this Two Kingdoms story, it was a really good um, way to share my gifts with everyone. And um, through, uh, after I was able to share the Two Kingdoms, we broke up into groups to practice. Um, because what's the point of hearing a lesson if we're not able to do it ourselves? Yeah. So um, we practiced in a group, and I was in a group with, like, six other ladies. And um, so they started um, repeating it back to me, saying the two kingdoms. And there was one lady who was not speaking at all. And so I was kind of like, okay, would you like to share? And the, the ladies looked at me, and they said, she's ready to enter the kingdom of light. And I just kind of sat there, and I was like, okay. <laughs> I, th I mean, I assumed that they were all Christians, but this lady had heard me speak, well, heard God speaking through me, heard the, her friends, her church members telling this story, and she was able to understand, I'm in darkness, I want to be born again. So in the training with the church members, God was already working. We hadn't even gone out into the village, but someone already accepted Christ, and it was just, like, really, it was encouragement that, like, speaking and telling this story, it's simple, but it's easy to understand. It was doing what God had called us to do, so. That's great. That laid a foundation for the rest of our ministry. That was huge. What about you, Christian? How are you used um, to be a blessing to others? So I got to really do a lot of different things on this trip. So, like, from the first medical clinic, taking vitals, so checking blood pressure, checking heart rate, checking temperature, and getting to talk to people and like get medical history and all of that, I had no idea I could do that. Um, <laughs> so I kind of got to figure out that I kind of like medical now and I might take that into consideration for the future. But um, also going out and evangelizing, I really learned more about myself in that generally I see myself as not that social, but going out and getting to talk to people, it really helped me come out of my shell. and realized that I, I can do some of this stuff too. And it, it, it was really amazing seeing how many people received the word. And I, I know we at least got to do the two kingdoms with, at, at minimum, my group, 50 people. And then we had over 30 pray to accept Christ. And I, I saw that as amazing. Uh, so this trip was a really good opportunity to try and learn more about myself Great, thanks. And Shay, what would you challenge our church to continue to pray about? So there's several things that we would like to. I know I was told one, <laughs> but I would like everyone to pray for the pastors that are there that have um, that we worked with that they would continue the work. And um, we'd also like to pray for Pastor Victor, who is the one who goes into the prison, and that he would continue the work. And lastly, I would like to pray that these people get the health care that they need desperately. Yeah. Thank y'all so much. So we see Philip in the text entering the life of this Ethiopian man at a point when he was searching. Not only was he searching, but he was able to actually say out loud, I need someone to help me. I need someone to show me. We don't often interact with people who are that 
open, but it was like on this trip, the Spirit was going before us and just opening every single door. In um, verse 31, the Ethiopian man says, how can I understand unless someone explains it, explains it to me? <laughs> Philip had a choice. He could have said, all right, I hope you find somebody to help you. Um, all right, well, let me bring you to church, and then I'll let somebody else explain it because it kind of makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I know a lot of us have probably had that, th- had that thought before, even if maybe we weren't confronted with, like, someone um, s- saying that explicitly. But that's not what he said. Instead, Philip, who knew Jesus in the flesh, who saw him minister while he was on earth, who knew exactly what the passage the Ethiopian man was trying to understand was about. He used that knowledge. He used his gift to impact this man for Christ. One of the reasons that two kingdoms is so effective in Africa is because a lot of the people there are so in tune with the spiritual realm. They understand this idea of this spiritual conflict happening among us. And a lot of times in America, we can kind of put that to the side, where we can kind of ignore that there is a spiritual conflict happening around us. One of the best tools that the enemy has for us is apathy. We are very good at just being apathetic towards our faith. And the enemy doesn't have to do much work. Apathy is a lack of interest or enthusiasm or concern. So if he can convince us that we don't need the Holy Spirit to work through us, there is somebody else who is more talented, more gifted, more suited, probably wants it more, probably whatever it is, we can convince ourselves that that's not our thing. We can just be apathetic to the need for us to be used by the Holy Spirit. When we let the enemy use apathy, we're giving him an easy win. And so spiritual warfare can be a very hard thing for us who are getting hit with this apathy to really see, hey, there is a battle being waged in our souls just like in Africa. And so if we let the enemy win that easily, we are giving him points there that we don't need to. And so, don't let him win that easily. And so, the last thing I want us to look at here is that when Christ transforms a life, when Christ causes there to be life transformation from death to life, when he gives someone a powerful experience, don't stop right there. Don't sit in that moment forever. Keep moving forward. When the Ethiopian believed, when Philip had the opportunity to share with him and he believed, he immediately said, hey, there's water over there. What's stopping me from being baptized? What's stopping me from taking that next, that next step? And Philip just obliged him. What is stopping us from taking the next step spiritually? We tend to be very good at procrastinating procrastinating. I know I am. We can usually say, all right, we had a very good spiritual experience here. We can kind of draw on that for a while before we take the next step. Maybe there's been a radical life change in your life and you're just nervous about taking that next step. 
We don't need to be afraid to take that next step. That is a powerful tool that the enemy uses. Don't let the enemy slow down what is happening in your life, what God is working out for good. So we had three goals as we uh, gathered together to go to Zimbabwe. Um, We wanted to fellowship with other believers from around the world. We wanted to see how our brothers and sisters in Christ experience God and live that out in their context. We wanted to encourage Brett and Allison, the missionary partners we had over there, and the other pastors. And then we wanted to learn. We wanted to learn more about the kingdom of God and our role in it. So it's, it is a temptation to um, let the mission trip be kind of the high point and, and the end goal. But we don't want that to be so. We want that to propel us on into the future. So Anna, how can you use um, this experience to kind of change your life going forward or your view on missions? So this, um, this opportunity for me, it never really changed my view on missions. It confirmed it. Yeah. So... Um, I've, I've heard the um, word joy mentioned a lot this morning, and some lovely women came up and even sang about it. And my, my, um, my mother was kind of checking up on me during the trip, and she asked me how everything was going. And I said, you know, Mom, I've never felt a greater joy than when I'm sharing my God with others. And it's the most amazing feeling. It's really an addicting feeling. And I... Um, the love was so powerful at this, on this trip, you know. And um, sometimes sharing love with others can be as, just as beneficial as receiving love from others. Yeah. And the love that I was showing, I wasn't, in, neither you or I was incapable of. It was God in me pouring out his love. And it was the most amazing, amazing thing. And, you know, trusting in God and faith, you know, I had a lot of faith when I was jumping off that 380-foot bridge. (laughs) So, you know, I can do anything now, but um, I have been a victim to sitting in my house and feeling this great sorrow for those who are lost and then sitting back in my chair and thinking someone someone else will do it. But that's that's not how it's supposed to be because we are all put on this earth to share Christ. And there was no doubt in my mind that God was on the move. And he is on the move, yeah. and it's incredible. Yeah. And so as long as we are planting that seed, we are glorifying God and doing his work, and we are doing our job. And um, that's what I experienced. And so this trip really just confirmed for me that this is what I was put on this earth to do and what I will be doing from this moment on. Awesome. Yeah. Amazing. Well, what about you, Jonathan? How did this experience change your life or your view on missions? Well, um, so... This was my first like international mission trip. Yeah. I've been on many in, in the States, but um, I, I really got a sense of like how different the two types of trips are, yeah. which like the international trips require like much more preparation and uh, like, like more cultural awareness yeah. and even like more reflection afterward, like that especially, I didn't realize how important that was. Like, because we'd done it on like the trips that I'd been on in the States, but I didn't really realize how important it was until this trip. Because it truly like helps you celebrate what happened and also make improvements for the future. And also it like, 
really, really showed me how important it was to get out of your comfort zone in missions because uh, there are a lot of things I had to do that trip that were out of my comfort zone. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't. So um, it was, yeah, like, but it also helped me realize, like, it's not something that I should do when I'm just on an international mission trip. Yeah. Like, I really need to step out in it more while I'm in the States and, like, be more willing to share, excuse me, share the Word of God. Because, honestly, like, I mean, I, I felt more comfortable doing it there. Yeah than I was here, mm-hmm. which shouldn't be the case. That's right. And I, sh- I should be willing to do it here just as much. That's great. Oh, yeah. That's great. Thank you. And Emily, what is something that you would challenge our church to continue to pray about? So for me personally, um, leading up to the trip and being on the trip definitely changed my view of missions and um, just realizing that missions doesn't mean just going. It means praying for people that we have on the mission field, and it means supporting them um, through, you know, prayer, through loving them, through um, monetarily. It There's so many other ways besides just going that um, encompass missions. And so um, one thing that I heard Brett and Allison say um, at many points on this trip was just how loved and supported they felt by our church. And this, we take one trip a year, um, and hopefully that will increase. But right now we take one trip a year and we send, I mean, 10 to 15 people. And so um, going isn't the majority of what we do in the lives of um, Reclaim Project and Brett and Allison. And so um, just remembering that prayer and supporting however we can um, also encompass missions. And so one thing that I think that we can be praying for for Reclaim Project and for Brett and Allison is um, that they will continue to seek the Lord's will for their ministry and that they will continue to establish and build um, and cultivate partnerships in Africa, but also here in the States. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Let's pray together now. God, I thank you that, um, I thank you for this church that cares about missions and cares about going, praying, and giving. Um, I thank you for how that's built in into our DNA. Um, continue to let that thrive in our hearts um, personally and as a group. I thank you for this team that went. Um, thank you for allowing us to be open to how you would use us and, and seeing you work in us and through us uh, over the past two weeks. Um, I wanna pray for Brett and Allison as they continue to minister there. I wanna pray for uh, the pastors and the, the coalition of churches that are working together and partnering together. And I pray for the new believers that they would not be left on their own, but there would be follow-up and discipleship uh, that would continue to build them up, strengthen them. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this church. And uh, thank you for allowing us to be part of your kingdom and your kingdom work. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. So, when we were participating in this pastor training, um, the evangelism tools were really helpful, but that wasn't all that we were focusing on. We were focusing on what comes next. What comes next? Once you are saved, once you have experienced this life-changing power of Jesus, what's next? How do you go when you are born again from being a spiritual infant to being a spiritual adult? Typically, we frown on adults acting like 
children, right? Like that is typically, typically something that when it happens, we're like, okay, that's weird. Probably shouldn't be wearing huggies, right? Like, like we should probably avoid that as an adult, right? So, but there's always a transition point where, hey, we were all spiritual infants at one point. And so how, as a more mature believer, can I come alongside a spiritual infant and help them progress to the point where they are more self-sufficient? Self, self now, even when you are an older spiritual Christian, right? You don't go through life alone, right? There is still a community aspect to being a believer. We see, we, 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 we see spiritually mature believers practicing spiritual disciplines like um, worship, teaching, reading their Bible, praying, fellowshipping with other believers, regular, regular repentance from, from sin. Those are things that happen in a spiritually mature believer's life. And then we see spiritually immature believers where they are having to be dragged to maybe a worship time or a teaching time or they're having to be spoon-fed the Word, which is okay if you are a spiritual infant and you are moving on through the process, but we have to progress past a certain point. Eventually, we are all called to grow up into the likeness of Christ and keep moving forward. We don't all sit in our, in our um, conversion point. Our testimony doesn't end when we are born again. That is the beginning of our spiritual journey. We don't rest right here. We keep moving forward in our spiritual journey and growing. Philip didn't have a mountaintop evangelical experience with this Ethiopian man. In um, the end of the passage, it says that he was taken away by the Holy Spirit, and then he went to every single town that he passed until he made it to Caesarea, and he did not stop. Once the Holy Spirit worked in him, he kept moving forwards. When I see care effect leaders who go out week after week after week, when I see small group leaders who come week after week after week, when I see people leading and serving in other ways here week after week after week, the joy and the glow and the peace that they have isn't because of their first week when they really loved it. It's because they are continually letting the Holy Spirit work through them again and again and again. When the Holy Spirit works through you, you don't want it to be a one-time thing. You want to keep on being used, but you do have to be used once. You have to be used at least once. Otherwise, that's not going to be something that you want to come back to. And so if you can continue to let the Holy Spirit use you again and again and again, you will keep coming back to that. Don't let the enemy tell you that your story is too short or not dramatic enough or happened too early in your life. Don't believe the lie that you aren't qualified. Once you let the Holy Spirit work through you, keep letting it work. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have done a good work in us and that you will see that good work to 
completion. I thank you that we can take joy and take heart because you have overcome the world. God, that we don't have anything to fear because we can rely on you, because we can trust in you. I thank you for the, trans- for the transforming power of your grace. I pray for anyone in this room who might not have a relationship with you, God. I pray that if your spirit is moving in them, that you would just make that clear. God, I pray for this church. I pray that we would just continue to let the Holy Spirit work through us. God, that our leaders would continue to lead in a spirit-filled way. I thank you just for the opportunities that you give us. I pray that we would just continue to just let you guide us and let you lead us. And I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.